friend. Welcome to Plays Well with Others, a podcast for creative community to discuss everything from the sensitive to the silly, but most importantly, to explore play. Come play with us. I'm your podcast host and wiggly dancer, lover of ducks and hats, Alex B. Arnapol. Let's dive in, shall we? turkeys. Happy Wednesday. As you all frantically bake, trying to get those pies in the oven, the turkey defrosted in time. Am I the only one, by the way, who every single year, it's not the cooking that overwhelms me, but it's that suddenly I forgot that I'm supposed to take my turkey out of the freezer. I don't know. That's my whole thing usually. But as we launch into the colonialist holiday of Thanksgiving, based on pretty effed up circumstances, over here at Rec Center, we are working on something a little different. And I wanted to make sure to tell you about it so you've got all the details, all the good juicy details. As you may or may not know, Rec Center is opening up its membership play portal this Friday, November 26th. I cannot express to you how genuinely excited I am for this. I know it sounds silly because, hey, it's my business. Hey, it's my organization. Of course I'm excited. But I think it really comes down to what my heart has been craving for years. I think back to who I was in elementary school, in middle school, high school, in my 20s, when I always just felt like a big creative weirdo that never fit in any boxes. I was too interdisciplinary, too loud, too queer, too straight, too everything to ever feel like I could find a place. The Rec Center membership is specifically created for people like me, like you, like you, dear reader, who's listening and thinking about sea squirts and axolotls and is excited about bridging science and creativity and weirdness and softness and bringing it all together into one space. Our membership is specifically for you. If you've ever felt like You were too interdisciplinary, too inter-whatever. Like you had one foot in one world and one foot in the other. We're for you. To help rediscover that authenticity, that integration. To take your creative career, your creative path, your creative world to the next level. And it's not something that's new. It's something you've had all the time. But sometimes it takes being in community to recognize that. So that's what we're here for. Our membership offers masterclasses with incredible facilitators like Adrian Mari Brown, Yumi Sakagawa, Meg Lewis, Sam Reese of Shitty Craft Club, Linnea Sims of Interplay Outer Work, Phoebe Taylor of OK Shoe, Bunny Michael, Alicia Goodwin, Lizzie Silva. There are so many. I can't even wrap my head around how exciting these facilitators are. We're also going to be offering creative coaching monthly with yours truly, with me. So the kind of conversations that we have on this podcast here, those are the kind of coaching conversations we would be having together. We'll also offer community events like 
creative share nights or dance parties, craft evenings, uh, critiques, plus a lot of other goodness. So you're going to want to be a part of this. I'm certain of it because if you're listening to this, you're one of us, one of us, one of us. You are a creative, squishy, interdisciplinary, soft-hearted weirdo too. We want to hold your hand on this journey. We want to have you here with us, as one of my clients says, to hold you in our heart hammock. So we hope you join us this Friday, November 26th. There are going to be some special offerings on Fridays, well, because it's our birthday. So make sure to check out our membership. It'll be linked in the show notes. It's on our Instagram and on our website. So we can't wait to see you there this Friday. And now, without further ado, let's hop into today's episode. In today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little different. As our podcast name suggests, plays well with others isn't just about one person. It's about community. And as we launch into a week of community, whether it's community around your dinner table or community fighting for justice or community joining our membership on Friday, we want to talk about care. Because now more than ever, care matters. Caring for yourself, caring for your community, seeing how it's all interconnected. So, for this episode, I'll be dipping out and bringing in three new voices. The following absolutely incredible conversation comes from our quarterly community care conversations led by our community care coordinator, Lucia Gelderon Arieta. A quick note on the following conversation. This was recorded live over Zoom. Not recorded in podcast format, not with technical equipment. So if you hear little buzzes, sounds, little weirdness, it's not you, it's me. But truly, as with any live event, it's not perfect. And neither are we. We're soft, squishy humans here. So we just wanted to let you know ahead of time. And thank you for your patience and understanding. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Bring a notebook because there's so many juicy little tidbits to take home with you. Have fun, turkeys. All right. The next thing is something really important to, I think, everyone in the room here, which is the land acknowledgement of Rec Center. Uh, Rec Center is a primarily digital, uh, non-centralized organization, but we are digitally as many places as we possibly can be. And that carries its own unique uh, land acknowledgement needs. The people part of Rec Center are me, Lucia Calderon, and I am residing in the traditional unceded lands of the Potawatomi, Peoria, Miami, Kickapoo, Oglala Sioux, and I'm sure many other uh, 
indigenous stewards of land whose names we may not know or whose names may have been erased through the violence of genocidal colonization. So I want to call in that that is the place that I am residing from and coming to you from. The uh, other main human of Rec Center is named Alex Arnapol, and they are the founder and the director, and they reside on Tongva land, now known as LA. The place that I reside on is now known as Chicago. Speaking of the digital nature of Rec Center, I also want to honor the vast unceded lands that are occupied by the physical infrastructure that undergird our access to digital community. And by that, I mean literally the cities where there are hidden towers of water coolers for mainframes, all of the, you know, the transnational and almost and even international cables that are the physical infrastructure of what we call the internet, which can have, I think, a really deceptively, uh, almost, almost disembodied footprint. Um, but I think that it is important for uh, me as a human who uses the internet to always bring that into the room. And um, this is something that I'm hoping to do more research on so that I can be more specific in future land acknowledgements. And the reason uh, to start with that is to state that, you know, this is the lived fact of the conditions that we're in right now as humans, and also to just state that this is the lived fact, uh, fact of whatever work we're doing is on land that has been, I would argue, kidnapped from its indigenous stewards. And I think that knowing that really informs kind of the heartfelt center of where our work to rejoin ourselves uh, to these stewards and to rejoin ourselves to a larger project of a just way of living with the world. I think that this is important to state um, to contextualize the work that we do as individuals and the work that we do as individuals who are part of community. And especially since today, the conversation that we're having is about community care and the artists that I'm so thrilled to be speaking with and sharing with y'all are so knowledgeable, invested, and curious about constantly questioning these contextualizing ruptures. And through not just their art practice, but their lives um, have really become uh, really great examples for me as a human um, of how I can use my curiosity to um, be better aligned with creating a better future for everybody. So with that, I'm going to exit out of sharing these slides. And I would just love to give Jian and Abena the chance to introduce themselves with their names, their pronouns, and what land they're coming from. Um, I don't want to put pressure on y'all to tell the whole spiel of like who you are and what you do. If you want to give us like the hors version of that, please feel free. But we have this whole time together to really get into the meat of what y'all do. So I'll pass it to Jian. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Lucia. Um, and thank you to the Rec Center. Uh, for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, my name is Ji Yun Lee, and I use she, her pronouns. I uh, live on um, Potawatomi homelands, um, now known as Chicago, um, a place where many people have lived over the years. Uh, yeah, I uh, consider this place my adopted hometown, um, my family, I moved here with my family when I was nine years old. I was actually born in Korea, um, but I am of, I was born in Japan, but I am of Korean descent. And it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Passing it to Avena. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I really admire what you guys are doing. 
um, as well as Jean Lee. I really admire your work as well. Um, I'm also joining from Chicago and I acknowledge that we're currently occupying the ancestral lands of the Council of Three Fires, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi, as well as over a dozen tribes that call this land home. I'm an interdisciplinary artist. I grew up in a tiny country called Misutu, which is in the middle of South Africa. My mom's from Ghana, but I've been in the States since I was 18, which was back in 2012. Um, and I consider myself an interdisciplinary artist. So I do everything from performance to sound, to drawing, to painting, to writing, whatever is like my medium of choice for what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I'm really excited that in this room we have such inter everything. Like I am also like not an immigrant myself, but definitely uh, con contextualized by having an immigrant experience in my parents. And so I think that this inter everything point of view that we all share is going to really uh, spring forth in the way that we talk here. And I'm very excited to make space for that. So just to just to check in with y'all, um, I would love to know if y'all have eaten anything yummy recently, uh, Gian and Avena. I'll start with Avena this time. Yes, I just made lemon cardamom cookies. These have been like my go-to all winter. For some odd reason, wintertime just makes me want to cook food and get to know more about like what's at home because we're all just stuck inside because it's so cold. Mm -hmm. um, so that was what I was munching right before. <laughs> oh my God, stunning. Gian, have you had to, something tasty to eat recently? Uh, what I was eating right before is meatloaf. Uh, I have mostly been... Uh, eating vegan at home for most of this past year, uh, but I I ended up with some ground beef, and uh, I love meatloaf. It's so comforting. It's so comforting. Oh my gosh, yeah, our bodies are just like it's time to really tend, hibernate, and nest, and I really feel it too. I got so lucky. Um, my partner. Uh, has this really yummy recipe for uh, a goat cheese pasta. And so I had that last night uh, and that was really delicious. Cool. So I would love to, um, again, like my ADHD brain is constantly racing. So breathing is a really great practice for me to be centered. I would love to invite us all to start the convo with just three deep breaths. So let's go back a little bit. If we could all breathe in for three. Hold. And maybe we're wiggling our shoulders. Maybe we're feeling our feet on the ground. Let's take another breath for three. And one more breath. Oh, yes, let it all out. Some yawning, some clicking, some feeling. And yeah, I would love to start with my first big question, which is definitely a big foundational question. And uh, I'll toss it to Gian first and then Abena. You know, what does community care mean to you? Oh dear, I was hoping you would <laughs> first, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll offer something for things to build on. How about yes, that? Yes, literally that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I do think that our... Uh, inherent human state is care. Uh, like we are a species that uh, is born completely helpless. Uh, it's really, I, I find it sort of mind blowing how helpless you are when you're a baby. You can't even lift your head. <laughs> I mean, let alone like 
feed yourself, house, you know, shelter yourself. Like right. you can't even you can't even roll over. So like as a species, we have evolved such that you need care from the very first moments of your life. Um, yeah, so I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously uh, most, many of our human societies have, you know, evolved to the point where uh, care isn't necessarily the central organizing principle, but, um, but it's still there, right? Or else we would not even have gotten to this point um, as a species. So, yeah, so that's what I'm sort of jumping to the end, but like, that's sort of what I'm interested in is how do we recuperate the care that is there, our inherent instincts towards care. I I don't think it's necessarily useful to think of uh, humans as a, you know, inherently like violent and competitive species, like that, you know, you can, you could make that assumption, but I think, I don't think the conclusions are that interesting because if, because if the assumption is that we are species uh, evolved around care, then the question becomes, how do we find our way back to it? What are the mechanisms, avenues for, um, for healing towards being able to organize ourselves, our relationships, our societies around care. Oh my God, Gian, you're amazing. I love, so the reason I like to start with this uh, absolute like giant question is because there's so many ways to respond to it. And I love just seeing your mind work of being like, because I know that how you, I know your practice is so specific and research-based and it's also, I feel like it's coming through in like this almost like sociological viewpoint that you've taken uh, with regards to care, which I'm sure is only also just one facet of how you think about it. So definitely no pressure to feel like this first question is the only way we're going to be thinking about it. Avena, what, what's coming up for you? That is a huge question. Um, I agree with everything that Gian just said. Um, I think when I think about community care, the first thing I'm thinking about is care. So what is care for me? And when I think about that, I think about like the upbringing that I had. So I grew up in a country where people were very community oriented. Like that's something that was such a shock coming to this country um, and how it almost seems like society here has like taken people away from that sense of like community accountability, community care, just caring for each other on a human level. And I can see that just sort of being part of like the work systems, it's in everything. And I feel like that is so sad. <laughs> um, but I think when I when I think about care, I think, oh, wow, I had a really lovely upbringing, just thinking about my mom making me tea or making me a soup or making me something that says I love you. And then for some odd reason, my grandmother comes up. I think she was someone who was so pivotal in just my journey. So she lived to 104 years old and she did everything on her own and lived in a little village. And I'm just thinking about the way that everybody treated each other and was just there for each other, you know, and it's not just your immediate family or your immediate relative, but everyone in the community that is in turn caring for you. And I see that too emulated with Indigenous peoples in this country. So just thinking about in my own practice, I'm very intrigued with plants and building reciprocal relationships with them and seeing that if you care for the earth, it will care back for you. And that is beautiful. And I know we will dig further into this as we continue talking. Yeah, I saw Jian uh, nodding nodding her head. So was there anything that like really resonated with you there that you wanted to be like, yeah, totally? 
Oh, well, yeah, totally. I too had a grandmother who cared for me. And I think that's a really, both the, the grandmother piece of it. Uh, I heard um, uh, a native woman, I can't remember who it was. It was sort of an offhanded comment um, while she was talking about something else. Um, but she was saying, she was talking about the importance of grandmothers and that there are scientific studies that have been done uh, that's, that talks about how um, the wellness of a person uh, you can measure based on their physical literal distance from their grandmother growing up. Like if they were closer, like, you know, how far apart you lived from your grandmother is, a, is an indicator of how well you do later on in life. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, wow. But it, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense because it takes more than one adult or two adults it takes I'm not gonna say it, but like it takes a lot of <laughs> it takes a lot of adults um uh, a lot of adults with differing uh ways of being able to think about young people uh to really care uh I think for the well-being of young people and I think it's interesting that the three of us are are talking about community care because I think it makes it it makes a big difference to have a perspective from outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, that we each have contact to varying degrees um, and sort of a foundation yes. in cultures that are not based in the U.S. not based in white Anglo um, U.S. Uh, mainstream culture. Those of us who grew up in those cultures have a sense uh, of what it means to be connected in a way that I think, um, especially white people uh, Mm -hmm. assimilated into dominant U.S. culture, like, I I don't think they even really know what that means, Um, I think. Oh, yeah. Totally. That's really resonating with me because I think about how, you know, as much as colonization has very much whitewashed the way that my family in Peru lives, there's still such importance with the family. And I literally remember my dad being like, the United States doesn't have the sense of los demás, which means, you know, los demás, I think, means a couple of things. Those around you, everyone who's not you, everyone who's in your community who's not you. And then also los demás is something about like those of the more. I really like thinking about it in terms of that I'm one part of the bigger of the more. And Abena, I want to give you a second too to also respond to that before you hop on to the next question. Yeah, this is like already so beautiful. Um, I'm thinking so much about just like ancestral lines, um, Mm -hmm. about matriarchal societies, about women um, and the care that women have for each other. Um, Even just sort of like, you know, a child is born, a baby's born and you have like mom or the female or woman figure like washing the baby and taking care, literally June, for this baby who can't do anything. on their own um so I'm thinking of how beautiful that is I know my mom's side of the family they come from Ghana so I grew up in Lesotho which is uh, my dad's side of the family but I got a chance to go to Ghana in 2019 for a month and I saw my uh, only remaining uh, grandmother who's alive and she's 95 years old which is amazing but just thinking about the amount of care that everyone in that society had for each other and just this feeling of oh my gosh, these humans love me so much and I don't even know you. (laughs) But (laughs) there's just that understanding and it's reciprocal. It's like back and forth. It's yes, I love you too because you're a human um, and I understand that we are here together. 
Um, so I'm thinking a lot about that. I really want to dig deeper into indigenous practices and knowledge of the soil, which is part of why I'm excited for this conversation. Um, but one of the things that they did say was that, you know, we're all stewards of our land and the more that we're able to learn about the land in a way that is human and form these connections with plants and nature, which is something I have back home um, and promote that over here, then the more that we're able to have relationships and see these as living being creatures that we can care for and will in turn care for us back. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, I, I really echo that I'm already being so nourished by hearing your thoughts. I want to hop into the next question, which I think that was a beautiful segue to, which is, so this podcast that I love called uh, Unlocking Us uh, with Brene Brown, the question she always asks her, uh, her guest is like, tell me your story. And it begins very young, like before like the professional story of like, well, I'm a blah, 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 who does blah, blah, blah. So I want to ask you all my version of that, which is, you know, tell me the story of how your art practice began and when it began to intersect with your care for community. I'm really excited to hear from both of y'all. I can go. <laughs> all right, go for it. This is such a hard question. <laughs> Honestly, I want to say I know when my art practice started, but I'll start with I don't know because yes, always... also a very valid answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I mean, what I like to tell everyone is I've always known that I've loved art. I had like my first piece of work when I was in grade two in primary or elementary school shown in the grade six exhibition. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like yes. someone cares about my work and it's going to be shown in this exhibition. And um, I think that was really like the confidence boost that I needed and having an adult in my life that was like, wow, you do like you're making amazing work. That's really powerful. And that's something I try to remember as a facilitator when I work with youth. So I feel like in my head, my perfect story. That's how I <laughs> feel like my art practice began. Um, and then from then on, my parents just like my dad put us in drawing classes and just sort of harness this with me and my sister um, growing up. So it's something I've always had around. I definitely didn't think I would get to be an artist just knowing where we were from, but moving to this country has let me do that. Or somehow in my mind, it's more um, acceptable in community to be an artist mm. <laughs> over here. Um, there's a lot of cultural stuff that comes with that back home. We were doing this activity in one of my workplaces the other day, and it was just a free write about things that reminded you of home and I did one on marigolds and I've been walking with marigolds for the past couple of months just learning about them they're so cool there's so much about them that I still am excited to learn but what it made me think of was just like growing back up uh growing up back home we had a garden and we had marigolds and I remember my mom teaching me things about the marigolds and how they chase certain insects away and they keep the garden safe and how all parts of it are edible and just this really exciting knowledge which at the time I was just like okay mom why are you telling me this <laughs> cool it's the garden <laughs> but looking at it looking back at it right now I'm sort of just like oh wow those were lessons my mom taught me in the garden and uh in an odd way it's those things that I feel like have been weaving into my art practice in such a beautiful organic way um, so I'm still finding out about the journey, but it's been a pretty beautiful woven uh, story, I guess. Yeah, I think this might be a good time for me to ask just can you tell us a couple, like, not not an artist statement of what your art practice is, but like, what do you what do you like to play with in your studio? What kind of ways do you teach about art? Yeah, um, I use a lot of dirt. Um, I love the earth. <laughs> a lot of tea, a lot of coffee, um, basically whatever I can find. And this is just sort of commenting on like back home, people make 
anything out of like garbage or whatever you can find or like footballs out of used plastic bags like people mm-hmm. are so innovative and I'm sure you guys are familiar with just making from what you have and then the other thing I started using tea back in Columbia College it's in 20, 2012 2013 I think um, and I was just looking for something that reminded me of home and I remembered all of the numerous visitors and teas we would have with people and so I spilled some tea on my canvas and I was like wow I love the way that looks this is it but also just connecting back to home and talking about colonialism and tracing the route of that through plants um which is like tea yeah so uh, I can tell you that Avena makes a lot of really beautiful, I would describe them almost as like watercolor paintings uh, using pigments from coffees, teas, and other tinctures and inks that Avena is able to process um, from a lot of natural and even ephemeral um, what's called fugitive dye stuffs. And then Abana also has a really strong practice in uh, the, the, uh, the different communities in Chicago in helping people facilitate kind of like a a closer relationship to how nature can kind of spark your creativity. And I think that's not just by the tools or the materials that come from nature, but also by like you do a lot of work, like literally in the parks here in Chicago. For some reason, this is how I was describing it to someone. I was like, Abana is like this amazing artist, but when you put her in nature, it's like um, a deity has found their attribute. Like, it's like, it's very, it, it unlocks a lot there. So I just wanted to give a little bit of my version of what you do also, so that you don't have to be like, here's the professional side. <laughs> Gian, same question to you. Tell me the story of how your art practice began and when it began to intersect with your care for community. I think it's sort of the other way around. Um, for me, I, um, yeah, I, I, I've always made things. Um, and both my um, mother's mother and then my mother uh, did a lot of uh, sewing. Uh, so I grew up around that and um, just like making things as a, you know, <laughs> as, as a child from an immigrant family, art was not a thing that was encouraged. Um, no. Shocking, <laughs> shocking. Shocking. You would never have thought. Uh, I, I think partly, uh, as a, as a female, um, being raised a girl, uh, and being from an immigrant family, and being the oldest in my in in my family of my siblings, um, there were lots of and 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 being Catholic, there were lots of ways that I was raised to serve others, um, and uh, so for a very long time, it was hard to know um, what I wanted um, for myself. Um, and it's still a journey of mm-hmm. becoming more clear about what that means at any given moment um, about what I want. And so when I left, uh, when I graduated from college, um, I didn't really have a clear sense of what I wanted to do. And um, but but I, I, I knew I wanted to find a place where I could uh, sort of have affirmed and learn more about why things are messed up in the world. Um, so I started that journey with an internship at Ms. Magazine, and then I started a PhD program in ethnic studies. And then I realized that I did not want to be an academic. Um, <laughs> and, and then that's when I started working in nonprofits, doing fundraising, and then um, uh, sort of program coordinating. And in that time, I moved 
from the Bay Area back to Chicago. Yeah, so I really, um, I had a whole career um, in um, nonprofit work, um, both uh, on the program side, as well as management, as well as fundraising in places that worked on immigrant rights um, and uh, Asian American civil rights. Um, and I was on the board of a domestic violence agency. And then uh, in my mid thirties, I uh, thought, hmm, this isn't, for somewhere in my mind, I thought I would like to, I would like to do more art. Um, and, and so I got a job, um, which I will tell everybody who's listening. Um, I got a job at Columbia College because one of the perks was you get to take free classes um, as an undergrad, uh, undergrad classes. And, um, and I used the professional skills I had, which is grant writing um, and fundraising uh, to, to do that kind of work at Columbia mm-hmm. College while I took classes. Um, and, uh, and then over the course of, uh, and, and it, it was, there were so many great things about that. And, you know, I loved the people I loved. Um, that was the first time I had a job that was where the content of the work was around arts and arts education. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I got to kind of see, um, different parts of the art world in Chicago from an arts administration um, point of view. Uh, and, and, um, and I got to be, my, my position was um, part of the bargaining unit for the staff union. Yes. Uh, so I, I got to be part of the union and uh, on the leadership uh, for the union um, for a number of years while I was there, which was, which was fantastic. Um, it was such a great learning experience and growth experience for me. And I met really great people and I still cheer them on. They're still- <laughs> Absolutely. They're currently negotiating again <laughs> for another contract. So um, yeah. And, and then at some point I just uh, accumulated enough work from the classes I was taking um, to sort of, to, to take, jump off the, the, the diving board. I feel very lucky to have figured out that route. Um, and, and, and so, so then I went uh, into an MFA program at Cranbrook, uh, which is how I know you. Lucy. Yeah. I'll totally hop in here and be like, in order to give you a, give, give our uh, listeners and our audience a little bit more concrete knowledge about what GN does. I got to meet uh, GN at uh, Cranbrook Academy of Art, um, where I was getting my uh, MFA in fiber art. And I was just immediately struck because I was doing a lot of work around identity and politics. And I felt like GN was doing it too, in a way that was really interesting, innovative, and unexpected, because I was doing a lot of work based on just processing the fact that I'm the the children of immigrants, I'm trying to figure out what my body means politically, I'm trying to figure out like, what is an authentic identity. The work that I saw you doing, GN, was about really researching and honoring through procession and performance the indigenous stewards of the land that we were occupying currently at Cranbrook. And that felt like a really important facet of the conversation around political art that wasn't being done by other people there at the time. And I think it's still something that, I think it would be easy to say that it sets you apart as an artist. It certainly does that. But it feels like it's coming from such a sincere and earnest place of genuinely wanting to know and understand that it's not a posture or a tactic to set yourself apart. It's you genuinely following your curiosity in the same way that Abena is like, 
I'm really curious about this plant to know it deeply. That means knowing everyone, as many things as possible that are associated with the care and the the reach that this plant has had. So I guess the question I want to ask is just to give Jiyun and Abena just a bit more of a chance to talk about like your recent work. Um, Jiyun, you recently did this amazing procession called Who's Lakefront? And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how that is part of just like community care in general. And then Abena, if you can talk a little bit about the Warp Residency afterwards. I'll just add on to what you were saying about um, one, one great thing about uh, art uh, in the contemporary period that I discovered is that art can be whatever you want it to be and that you really can like follow your curiosity and do some, you know, crazy stuff and then, and then call it art. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. So uh, yeah, I feel, I feel very lucky to be alive at this particular moment, um, getting to call myself an artist or, you know, whatever it takes to <laughs> follow my curiosity like this. Um, and, and partly because of all the moving around I did as a young person and arriving in the U.S. when I was nine, you know, nine, you're not completely young, right? But you're not completely old either. So it was a very, you can feel things, all, all, the, all the things that people are not telling you. I feel very lucky to have figured out, like, this is a way that I can satisfy my curiosity to try and figure out, like, what the heck happened here that set us up like this? And uh, a lot of it is motivated by seeing the conditions of the mostly urban um, uh, spaces that I've lived in, um, where it's racially segregated, segregated by income and class. Uh, segregated across all kinds of lines and divided and uh, really wanting to try and understand the the setup that got us here. And uh, so the Who's Lakefront project, oh, and so using walking as a way to witness that history, both learn about it and and using walking both um, as a way to witness as well as part of the research process itself um, as a way to just be in a place and, and gather data in that in that way. And so I've done um, solo walking projects um, and then group walking projects and, and whose lakefront ended up being a, a, a group walking project um, sort of inadvertently. Um, it really was based on um, the fact that most of the Chicago lakefront is landfill. I don't know if folks know that. Um, and uh, a, a lot of residents of Chicago are all very proud of this amazing civic asset that you know the public has access to. And uh, because it was uh, land that was created after the last treaties were signed, which ceded land up to the shoreline, all of the landfill that's been built since then out beyond the shoreline is technically unceded territory. Um, and when I learned about it uh, from a book written by John Lau, um, who's a member of the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi, um, I just thought I I I I I didn't know this. I grew, you know, I went to Chicago public schools and high school in the suburbs, and I didn't know that. And other people should know that. Um, so um, I conceived of the idea of um, drawing a line. Um, at that boundary, um, which downtown runs pretty much right down Michigan Avenue. Um, and so to, to mark unceded Native territory in the heart of what people think of as this, this idea of what Chicago is, the, mm-hmm. the story that Chicago tells about itself. The, the, the two big um, aspects of the project for me were trying to figure out how to navigate the law, um, uh, you know, like, who, who, who's going to give me permission to do this on the sidewalk? Who, who controls the sidewalk? And then relationships um, and trying to think about what it means to, uh, someone said it was like, 
uh, what it means to work with uh, um, with native folks um, uh, in solidarity. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate to have uh, a number of native folks, both in Chicago and from the Poking and Potawatomi, uh, agree to uh, work on the planning committee. Uh, they were all incredibly generous. Uh, and, and it was this interesting thing to negotiate. Someone said it's sort of like driving and sitting in the backseat at the same time. Mm. Uh, how do I make sure that they get to make the big decisions, but not put too much work or expectation of labor on them for the, you know, for the tiny honorarium that I was able to offer. So, uh, but I think it went, and, and these are actually, I just, I'm, I've been looking through some of the photo documentation um, to show in an upcoming, ex as part of an upcoming exhibition um, at the Hyde Park Arts Center, the Native folks involved said that it was good for them. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's, that's, that's the goal. That yes. was cool. And so when when um, you talk about that intersection of like your creative practice, as well as community care, I feel like that's what I'm motivated in, even if there aren't other people involved. Um, like my goal is to like, you know, shine a light on the hard things um, that have created the environments the literal environments um, and the situations that we're in now. Um, just as a starting place, um, mm -hmm. as a starting place for for healing. I um, so I'm a I'm a city girl, um, and um, in thinking about place, I'm trying to find my way back actually to like earth and dirt and water and plants. Um, so like where you are, Abina, I feel like oh I'm 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 making my way there. Right now I'm still stuck on like roads <laughs> and buildings and zoning. <laughs> which you know which go together um but yeah that's something that i i look forward to diving more into uh, the, uh having that be part of who i um, and what i relate to oh that's so beautiful what a beautiful connection okay avena the floor is yours tell us about you know the warp residency was just the first thing i could think of but like whatever comes up right now Oh my gosh, I'm so moved by what Gian was just saying, just thinking about connection to land and soil um, and everything. I remember the first um, installation I did when I uh, got to Columbia College, I was doing an installation where I needed dirt and I'd put them in little cellophane balls and I installed this giant plastic kind of tarp thing that I'd torn holes in. I still have those plastics with me. They come to every show that <laughs> I do and it, I've become so sentimental about them. Um, but also just talking about reuse and sustainability and that sort of thing. But I remember just like being downtown, the studios are right by Grand Park. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Grand Park. I'm going to get some dirt. And I went to get the dirt and this security guard comes over and he's like, you know, you can be arrested for stealing, you know, soil that doesn't belong to you. This is oh, <laughs> I was scandalized. I was like in Africa, dirt is free, you know, like, <laughs> it's like the air this doesn't make any sense um and I think that's a, a an experience that I will, I will carry with me forever just in that it was so shocking um but it also made me think about just like access to land and who has access to land and why is it so hard for me to have access to soil or dirt or twigs or flowers or nature so just sort of seeing that separation from something that was always such a big part of my life but also like 
you know, growing up around nature, not really realizing how beautiful it was until I came here. And I was like, oh, this thing that my body is so connected with is gone. Um, So I think moving through that, I've just been really interested in soil and a return back to nature. And then also just seeing so much synergy between Indigenous peoples here and people back home, because my ancestors have been living in the same way for centuries. And so similar to what June was saying earlier, it's sort of like, you know, how did we get here? Which is a huge question to ask. So with the work that I do with the Chicago Park District, I've been working with them since 2018, but it's um, mostly nature-based programming. We're across the city with a focus on like social and environmental justice. So Gian, you're actually one of the artists we looked at for our reparations for the earth curriculum. <laughs> when we were thinking about just artists who uh, put indigenous practices and really take that and share in a way that is radical, um, which is very exciting. And I, I mean, I feel like artists have so many gigs, but in the things that I've been doing around the city and with the Garfield Park Conservatory and nearly everything that I try to involve myself with, I've been promoting just like nature and um, working with youth and nature and seeing how exciting it is to paint with dirt or tea and learn about it and develop a connection. I think I get excited because youth are so excited about it. Like I did a class the other day for a kindergarten CPS class and we just used tea and found material and it was so much fun. I was just like, yes, <laughs> um, can I share this agenda with like one more group of people? And then uh, thank you for that link. Um, And then I'm thinking about so much, um, just reading about like the industry with like soil and um, agriculture and like who has access to all of that in this country. I think it's the Soil Science Society of America that um, was in charge of distributing land to um, agricultural farms and just thinking about the way farming in this country is not done in the way that it should be. And of course, that's because it's separated into like animals and then farms farming like one specific crop, corn or soy or whatever it is, which is not good for the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think, well, hey, if they can get the animals back on the farms, well then that would be more regenerative, but because of capitalism and the way this country works, it's so challenge- challenging to even think of that happening. So <laughs> I'm thinking about a lot. Yes. Soil is like the biggest thing on my mind right now. Um, And then I just did the residency at the weaving mill and they had a really lovely dye garden. Um, So I got to work with their dye garden for six weeks. It's never enough time. (laughs) I know that's so short. (laughs) But it was really beautiful. And it just came from a place of me wondering like, why is it so hard to have access to just flowers, you know, or plants um and so I looked for residency got in it was incredible and amazing and I got to do some workshops with the residents over there and just learn about these plants um I did a lot of poetry and spent mornings just writing <laughs> to the plant <laughs> it was very just uh, nourishing and lovely and wonderful um I'm hoping to write out a plant gratitude publication, which I should have in the springtime. Yes. Poetry and drawings and that sort of thing. Um, But also, yeah, I think I'm just constantly trying to deepen my knowledge. And, you know, I think it is so important to learn about Indigenous peoples here and to highlight that work, whether it's through art or whatever it is, you know, that's really important. Mm -hmm. 
That's so beautiful. Thank y'all so much. So I want to be really respectful of the time, this vessel of time. And I want to make space, um, and just in case anyone, if you have any questions that you would like to share or ask, or any responses to what has been spoken of thus far, if you would rather not, that's also totally okay. Um, I guess I can be like the resident white girl here um, who has like an Eastern European background, but because of World War II has been sort of cut off, cut off from my lineage a little bit. Totally. Um, and then hearing, I guess the thing that came to mind around like care from generations or from a like uh, like the community that you're living in is how can we in our present moment change some of our like the self-imposed limitations that we have around caring for one another. Mm-hmm. So like I think that there's a lot of uh, social mores around you know, what, what we owe each other or don't owe each other or what, you know, like just in friendships um, or in professional relationships. Like, you know, if you work, I work um, at a nine to five job and spend most of my waking hours with this group of people, but like, we don't have a kind of sense of sense of like reciprocity and a sense of, yeah, owing each other any kind of care. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's just like, how do we break kind of thinking about like how in, in this toxic, I'm, I should say I'm, I'm based in um, Hamilton, Ontario in Canada, mm-hmm. but I know that we have a lot of shared kind of like North American mm-hmm. <laughs> cultural values. So I'm just thinking, especially like I've been uh, working from home since March, 2020 and just got the notice day or yesterday that we are going to probably be going back to the office in January. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, when we return, how can we re- <laughs> Yeah, reconfigure some of those relationships or sense of care for one another or like enhanced empathy or whatever else. But even, um, yeah, just thinking about within like community and within friendship communities and stuff, how to get rid of some of those sense of like, okay, well, you're not my family. So it would be weird if I cared for you in this way or, or if I, if, if that was sort of a broader expectation. And I, I think through the pandemic, we've been breaking down some of that stuff, but I still think we have a long way to go before like deep community care could be like a norm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, That's really- my, one of my like 10 thoughts that I've had. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is the first one. So, <laughs> one, so I'll stop there. <laughs> That's a really good one. So I'm just thinking like that is so real because it's, you know, in in the work community, it would be like moving from like a situation that's very like transactional of like I go here to sell a labor and receive a paycheck and everyone here is kind of here based on that condition, not based on when we not not based on like people kind of choosing each other for like the shared vibes, right? Like mm-hmm. y'all in in my work experience, it's been like these people have all been chosen to provide a service to the company, which wants to make money as opposed to do I get along with the person that I'm working with? Because if we work together and we get along, we could actually do something transformative. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's really sitting on my mind. Gian and Abena, I don't know if you want to like give a two minute response really quick uh, to this uh, broad uh, wondering question. Yeah, that's it. There's so much in that question. Uh, my immediate thought it is, is that it's very challenging to find workplaces that where radical care is promoted. I feel very lucky that I work within spaces where people do care for each other in that way. Um, 
but it is challenging and it is difficult. And it's sort of when you're in one of them, you're kind of like, well, are there any other more like organizations that feel like this? But I think just thinking about the works of like Adrian Marie Brown and like emergent strategy, and if we are able to create organizations where they are built on trust, moving at the speed of trust and being able to you know, get on that level with people before or as you develop relationships, then that's an organization that I would want to work in. So it's like, if I'm looking for a place, I'm looking for those people and organizations that are already moving in that direction. Something that's very exciting through the pandemic, like I was asked a bunch of times to come facilitate like conversations or like team building based around like self-care or like restorative work. And I think that there are organizations that are trying to do that, but they usually need people within those organizations to lobby for that and to get them paid (laughs) Um, for doing that. Um, But I think that that's so necessary because, you know, otherwise who else is going to take care of us? You know, like we take care of each other. Yeah. Gian. I think, I think we each get to model um, like, you know, each of us and our worlds around us is creating the world we want. Um, so yeah, I, I think we get to model the what we're what we're trying to go for, um, while also being able to protect ourselves um, as we need to. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I think what both of you um, are touching on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, like literally over the last two days, I've been mired in this um, specifically emergent strategy (laughs) and, and, and keeping things like starting really small, like starting with immediate relationships. I'm trying to really readjust those expectations around changing like the larger system and work more within my small team or, you know, within my friendships or my immediate community, even in like thinking about community-based projects. Um, I just, yesterday, I've been doing a lot of like thinking through just dancing, like putting on loud music and smoking a bit of pot and just like having, having like just breakthrough thoughts. And um, it's the only way I seem to be able to think these days. And um, that's just what came to mind last night. I was just like, I have to stop like, because I've been on hiatus a bit, been doing community projects. And I'm like, how do I want to re-enter this? And it's through, rather than serving like a large community, thinking about how can I like, yeah, model in that small way, or like, how, how can I work with the people in my immediate community to like, start adjusting some of these relational standards that we have. And then there's that kind of reverberation that happens from that. So the flapping of the wings. <laughs> my heart. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is so beautiful. Yeah. No, it's so it's such I saw this uh, event post, you know, I'm so glad to have dropped into this randomly. Because <laughs> there are there are so many threads and I'm learning so much. So thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you all so, so, so much for your time and energy to be here. I would love to do just a one word checkout of, you know, how we're feeling at the end of this, uh, of this time together. Um, And I can go ahead and start. I think that I feel, I'm going to break my role. I'm going to do three words. (laughs) I'm going to do, I feel sparkly, grateful, and nourished for everyone. Um, Gian, would you like to go next? Mm, Thankful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pass to Abena. Um, excited, nourished. Uh, I'm gonna break the rule, but I really want to continue this conversation. Yes, absolutely. 
we'll have to have everyone back. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for those of you who are listening. Thank you so much for taking the time and energy to sit with us and listen um, now and at a later date. And we will, uh, I'll be looking forward to holding space again with everybody here in person and in the wider world of the internet um, for more community care conversations coming in the future. Thank you all so much. And I hope you have a really nourished rest of your day. I cannot believe the power of that conversation. I think overall, what hit me the most in my, in my heart center, in my heart hole right here, is the idea that caring is human nature. That was said at the very beginning of the conversation, and I feel like that was the through line, the glue, the connective tissue throughout the entire conversation. For human beings, caring is our nature. We are meant to care for each other. So when you're feeling a bit down on the state of the world, or you're at your Thanksgiving table and Aunt Barbara just said another racist-ass comment, bringing ourselves back to care and how we can care for immediate community and knowing that sometimes having the hard conversations is a form of care, of care for the wider world, of care for the grass beneath your feet, but also that it's not in our nature to be hateful or hurtful. And coming back to a state of care is our beginning state, not something to strive for, but something that already exists within every single one of us. So how are we going to cultivate care this week, this month? this year. I invite each and every one of you into a season of care. Have a beautiful week, my turkeys, and we will see you soon. For today's episode, we'd like to offer a few extra thanks. Thank you to Jian Lee and Abena Motabodi. A huge thank you to our community care coordinator, Lucia Calderon Arrieta, for your brilliance, your power, and your incredible ability to bring together community. We'd like to thank the Tonga Nations and Chumash Nations, both past and present, who have cultivated and cared for the very land in which this podcast was recorded and edited on. And of course, we'd like to thank you, dearest community, for your dedication, your commitment to yourselves and to each other. This has been Plays Well with Others, and I'm your host, Alex Brennan Arnapol. Until next time, be present, feel good, and play every day. Today's show has been brought to you with the support of Softer Sounds Studio. Plays Well with Others is a product of Rec Center, the radically inclusive center for creative play 